Hello, Sharks. I'm Jonathan Little for PokerCoaching.com, here today with another episode of Weekly Poker Hand. Today, we are going to be taking a look at a hand from the $10,000 buy-in GG Super Millions that takes place every week on GG Poker, featuring many of the best players in the world. And turns out when a lot of the best players play, a lot of them make the final table, and that's what we are going to be looking at today. Before we get started, though, we are having a big giveaway because we are almost at 100,000 subscribers on YouTube. When we get to 100,000 subscribers, I'm going to be giving away a lot of stuff, including $1,000 cash, coaching with me, and much more to get in the giveaway. That's going to close as soon as we get to 100,000 subscribers. Head over to pokercoaching.com slash 100K. I'll put a link in the description below. Also, make sure you subscribe. Click the subscribe button. It's, it's down there somewhere. You can find it. All right, let's take a look at this interesting hand from this final table. If you take a look around, the main players here are T. Moliocker. His name's Thomas, I believe. He's going to be facing off against, against Andrus. So here, Thomas is going to raise. Thomas, Tomas, sorry if I'm butchering your name. He's going to raise from early position here, playing about, what is this, 25 big blinds deep. Notice that Martrosian over here only, only has... Uh, about 13 or 14 big blinds. So a few 25 big blind stacks. Then we have a medium stack here and then the big stack and the big blind. And there is one shallow stack hanging out. That said, there is no obviously tiny stack here. So while there are pretty big payout implications because the payout structure on GG at final tables is usually pretty flat, meaning the person who wins does not win as much as they would if they were playing on a different site or in a different um, like on a, on a different tournament structure because that's just the way they structure it. Um, whenever the payout structure is flat, it incentivizes cautious play from the shallow stacks because they really, really don't want to go broke because moving up is quite valuable compared to if the payout jumps were smaller now but bigger later. Anytime the payout structure is flat, you should be tighter than normal. If it's winner take all, well, you should be a little bit more wild, right? All right, let's take a look at this hand. King, queen, definitely a hand to raise. If he thought for some reason he was going to get like three bet or four bet shoved on every single time, then perhaps you don't raise the king queen. But like, look, you should raise the king queen literally every time. But if he knows he's going to raise and then let's say oil trader here is insane and he's going to go all in really wide, that's not what you want. Or if he knows Andrus is going to blast them all in every time preflop, that's not what you want. But that's what's not going to happen the majority of the time. So king queen's an easy raise. King seven suited in the big blind. You may say, should king seven suited call? He's dominated. Can't you see he has? he's against the king-queen? Well, no, he does not know he's dominated and against the king-queen. This is a spot where king-seven-suited is great. You should be calling it every time. This is an interesting scenario where if you have studied post-flop ICM implications, when the pound implications are very big, you will know that Andres should be leading sometimes from the big blind as the big stack into the middle stack. I actually discuss this a lot in my book, Excelling at Tough No Limit Hold'em Games. Make sure you check that out. But the times you want to lead are when the board does not connect especially well with the under the gun slash hijacks raising range, right? You have to presume Thomas here is raising very, very tightly, right? Because he's really incentivized to be tight. Therefore, when he does raise, he should have... Mostly good, strong, big cards, right? So this Ace-10-2 board is not a board where you get to lead. And in fact, you should just be doing a whole lot of check folding, even as 
the big stack in this scenario. But if the board was low and connected, that's the spot where Andre should be leading very, very frequently, looking to triple it off by the river very often because the risk premium is very, very high for the middle stack. I discussed this thoroughly as well at my training site, pokercoaching.com, in the tournament masterclass. Make sure you check it out. I expect king-queen to bet in this scenario, and I'm not going to say king-seven suited should fold frequently, but he's going to get a lot of folds in general. Like, king-seven to spades would obviously fold. You may say, why bet king-queen on the flop? Because if you bet and get raised, it's no problem. You just fold, because you're not going to get raised all that often. And sometimes you'll end up barreling by the river, making the best hand by the river. We'll see. Pots 371. You probably want to go for a small-ish size in this scenario, because when you have the nuts, like an ace, you are, don't really care what odds your opponent gets. Whenever you have a draw, like a flush draw, you'd rather not put in a ton of money. When you have a bad draw, like this, you'd rather not put in a lot of money. So I like the small bet. And King Seven of Hearts calls. <sighs> so you may say, why in the world would you call here? But you have to realize you're getting amazing pot odds, right? Facing this 100,000 bet, you need to realize, what, 18% equity? It's kind of hard to not realize 18% equity here because usually what's going to happen is it's going to go check, check on the turn, check, check on the river, and sometimes you win. Or check, check on the turn and then bluff on the river, and sometimes you're going to win. So as the big sack in this spot, you are highly incentivized to be splashy and generally aggressive because your opponent is incentivized to be really, really cautious, right? Like you want to be able to... You want to stick around wider because you're going to be able to apply aggression to your opponent. So I like this. Um, you may ask, why not raise then to give yourself some fold equity? Because eh, you're raising into a whole lot of aces, right? And if you're raising to a whole lot of aces, that's not especially good. So Andres calls. Fine. I have no problem with this. Turns the queen to clubs. This is, again, a scenario where he could consider leading, but he probably just shouldn't because he's going to be leading into ace-jack, ace-king, ace-queen, ace-ten, flushes, etc. So... This is just a check fold now, I think. Maybe there's some world where you're supposed to like check min raise with the king seven of hearts. I don't know. I've uh, studied these post-flop ICM scenarios a decent amount, but uh, like you'll see some pretty pretty ridiculous bluffs take place from the big stack against the medium stack. But I think this is probably a spot just to check fold. You probably want to have a club when you go for a bluff. So probably a check fold for Andres. When Thomas here gets the queen, seems like an easy spot to check it back. Because now if you bet and get called or raised, it's pretty miserable. But if you check it down, you win. Fine and good. Now, here we are on the river. Andres is sitting here with king seven of hearts. What do you think he's going to do? You think he's going to try to bluff here into an obvious ace or an obvious queen? Take a second to think about it. I want you to do some soul searching. And ask yourself, what would I do here at the final table with the big stack, with the king, seven of hearts, on this ace, ten, queen, ace, ten, two, queen, five board? Would you just check and fold? Would you bet small, like 120,000? Would you bet medium, like 350,000? Would you go all in for 2.5 times pot? Or would you check but look to check shove all in against a small bet. Take a second, pause the video, and write what you would do in the comment section below.
All right, this is a dicey spot um, because this board should connect very well with your opponent. So given it should connect very well with your opponent, what are you trying to get him to fold? Well, we're trying to get him to fold out a 10, like jack 10, or a hand like pocket nines, or eh, that's about it. Do you expect a queen to fold if he does have king, queen, or queen, jack? Like, not really. Maybe he will, though. Do you expect an ace to fold? Like, never. If you're trying to get an ace to fold, the only way you're going to do that is to rip it all in. Or to check shove all in. That said, the hijack in this scenario is pretty incentivized to not even value bet thinly. So I have to presume when he does bet the river, he's going to be pretty polarized. So I'm not sure you want to be doing the check shove strategy. I think your only real option here with the king seven against most people is to bet medium, like 350k. If you bet tiny, like 120, you're just going to get called by all the tens and all the queens and all the aces because your opponent's getting amazing pot odds, right? But I think if you do bet on the bigger side, there is some chance you get a hand like queen jack to fold and you'll almost certainly get a hand like 10-9 suited or king 10 suited to fold. So I think a 350k bet is the best play in the spot. Let's see what happens. 436, solid, chunky bet. He went even a little bit bigger than I did. Now, what do you do with the king-queen here? It's pretty, pretty tough hand, really, if you think about it, because you lose to every ace, which could definitely value bet like this. You also lose to the flushes, which could value bet like this. But your opponent's incentivized to be aggressive. I know Andres. He gets in there. He battles. I can already tell you, in this scenario, if I had the king-queen, I would call and lose the majority of the time. <laughs> you may say, why call? You don't beat anything. Well, besides the bluffs, you have to ask, though, what bluffs are actually available? This is the problem that this king-queen is running into. What bluffs are actually available? Flushes got there. A queen wouldn't bet like this. The ace, the aces that uh, have, like, two pair would bet like this, probably. So there, there are plenty of value hands that would play this way. The question is, what bluffs are there? Well, there's backdoor hearts, right? Also, maybe, just maybe a hand like pocket sixes or pocket threes decides to be really splashy on the flop. I'm not even sure if that's necessarily a good play, but maybe it does. And that hand would likely turn itself into a bluff on the river. So a bunch of backdoor heart draws, like jack nine of hearts, king seven of hearts, queen nine of hearts. These are all hand, well, not queen nine of hearts. That would, not, that would check. King nine of hearts, how about that? These are all hands that would check call flop, check, check, turn, and then feel inclined to go for it on the river. The problem though, is that there are actually a lot of value hands compared to the backdoor heart draws, right? So thinking this through more, this may actually just be a fold. Man, I hate folding, but with the risk premium here, because you really don't want to call and get down to 900K, um, this may actually be a fold. I guess you get down to a million. A million, 900K, it's all the same. Um, I think this may be a fold. Wow, I can't believe that I have somehow convinced myself, even seeing the King Seven of Hearts to fold in this scenario. Because like, what do you beat? He's betting into a range that should be pretty strong. You only beat backdoor hearts. That's it. And notice, some of those backdoor hearts are king jack for the nuts. Some of them probably won't even float like nine eight of hearts, right? That doesn't even float the flop, probably. So you're beating only king seven of hearts and jack nine of hearts, jack eight of hearts. That's it. It's almost no combination of the bluffs. When there's no combinations of bluffs, you know what you should do with your bluff catchers? You should probably fold. This hand would be better. <laughs> I'd feel I'd feel way uh, worse about my decision to fold here if Andres showed up with something like King Seven of Spades. But like, people just aren't floating that hand on the flop against a strong range. So 
The more I think about this, the more I actually think this is a fold. In game, would I have probably just found the calling station call? Probably. I like the fold, though. Let's see what Thomas does. Takes his time, takes his time. And folds. If we can learn to play like the people who final table the $10,000 buy-in GG tournament every week, we'll be in good shape. Maybe, just maybe we're getting there. Do you think we're going to make it? I don't know. Who knows what the future holds? We'll find out together. That's going to be it for today. This was a fun hand. Very, very nice bluff from Andres. He picks up the pot. And, you know, even though Thomas made the fold here with the best hand, I think it was actually just a good fold. Ugh, yuck. I hate folding. If you hate folding, type in the comments. Hashtag. Folding is no fun. Because it's not. Have a great day. Enjoy yourselves. Make sure you get in that giveaway. I'm going to give away some money and some coaching. You might as well go to you. Make sure you get in that at pokercoaching.com slash 100K. Good luck in your games. Have a great, great week. And I'll talk to you next time. How would you like to have one of these championship bracelets from winning a major poker tournament? Well, here, I have plenty. I'll give you one of these. Oh. Couldn't quite get it to you. Instead, you're going to have to win your own. To get started, click the subscribe button.